0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.
1: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. All right, welcome back to the Archaeology Podcast. I am just really <laughs> flubbing these today. <laughs> Welcome to the architect podcast today is February 26 2019 and put on your party hat because today we are recording the 100th episode of this podcast this is Paul Zimmerman your host for this milestone episode and along with my co host our podcast usual host Chris Webster today we're gonna be turning the tables a little bit because we don't have a uh, quote unquote tech topic per se but instead we're just gonna do a little navel gazing and look at the history of this podcast and see what kind of lessons we can learn about podcasting and public archaeology in general. So let's get to it. Hey there, Chris. How you doing? Good, Paul. How you doing? Oh, doing pretty good. Uh, happy to have you here today on uh, the Architect Podcast for our 100th episode, our milestone. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty exciting to uh, take over the reins for this one. You know, I've been spending... The last uh, over the last couple of weeks since we were discussing, we realized we we're coming up to this hundredth episode. I've been looking back at our back catalog on the Archaeology Podcast Network site, and uh, and looking through each one of the uh, the episodes, uh, listening to little bits here and there where I could, and just trying to catalog what we've done. And so I just wanted to run over a few of the numbers, um, you know, so the. That- we know what we're looking at here. So we have 99 episodes in the bank. The first episode that came out aired on December 1st of 2014. So that's just over four years ago now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was hosted by Russell Aline Willems and Doug Rox McQueen. I don't know either of them, but uh, they have great (laughs) names, don't
2: they? (laughs) They do. Two hyphenated names. I mean, it couldn't get any better than that. There you go. Yeah, I mean, Doug Rox McQueen, that sounds like, you know, (laughs) <laughs> he sounds like a
0: real <laughs> badass.
2: <laughs> so Doug, Doug is cool because he um, he started on this podcast. He's a CRM archaeologist from New Mexico, or at least he was. And then at some point he moved over to Scotland. He got married and uh, went to school there. And over the course of podcasting with him for the last like seven years, oh, I forgot to mention, Doug is also a co-host on the CRM archaeology podcast with me and has been for six years now. Mm-hmm. And he was over there and got married and has finished his PhD and is now doing some other things. And I think come this August of 2019, he's going to be, uh, what do they call it? It's some sort of citizenship that he's going to get for the UK to where he basically said, he's like, they can still kick me out, but it's going to be way more difficult. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he's, he's a client and sinker. And then, uh, and then Russell was just a friend I had worked with for a really long time. And this is the only, well, Russell started with me also on the CRM Archaeology podcast back when, when uh, for a little while when we, when we first started it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to ask you about,
1: um, you know, this isn't the first of the podcasts on the APN, um, but uh, how, what was the genesis of this? How did, how did this mm-hmm. particular podcast come about and uh, and how did these two end up being the, uh, the first co-hosts?
2: Yeah, well, it's funny you say this isn't one of the first podcasts on the APN. It's not in the sense that we were already doing the CRM Archaeology podcast and mm-hmm. Tristan Boyle, the other founder, brought his podcast, the Anarchaeology podcast, into it. So when we technically came up with the idea of the APN, there were already two podcasts for it. However, December 1st, 2014, the first episode was day one of the Archaeology Podcast Network. So as we were formulating this idea of the Archaeology Podcast Network, we were coming up with other shows that we could release right at the same time. And I had always wanted to do a technology podcast with archaeology. And while I wanted to be selfish and do it myself, I thought I'd look around because I just didn't have the time for that. So I was like, let me see if other people are willing to do this. And Doug and Russell stood up and said, yeah, let's let's take on another show because they were still doing the CRM archaeology podcast with me as well. So they decided to do the Archaeotech podcast and and kind of get that rolling. And so we released that right on day one when we made the APN go live. I think the other show that released at the same time was the Archaeological Fantasies podcast with uh, Mm -hmm. Sarah Head so yeah i didn't realize it went right back to the very
1: start of it i thought that uh that uh, crm podcast was uh was a
2: fair amount like two years older or so um it is older it's just it's just the cr mark podcast is older than the apm <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the part i didn't get before right so um
1: <laughs> You know over the years, uh, these four plus years now, we've had uh, <laughs> those two and uh, and four others. So we've had six total co uh, hosts and co-hosts. Uh, mostly you, you've been on eighty eight times so far. Chris oh, Sims. 39 times. Me, at, just behind that, at 35. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, four more, this one and three more, and uh, and then we'll be <laughs> neck and neck. And uh, let's see, Russell at 12, Doug at 7, and Richie, who stood in for me last week and uh, looks to mm-hmm. be the pitch hitter, is uh, has been the co-host for three episodes. Uh, what's it like working with so many different, uh, different co-hosts of the years, and, and why have we gone through so many?
2: So, yeah, I'll... I'll answer those in in turn. So I I love working with different people on this because everyone has a different perspective. And that's one of the things I love about podcasting too is, you know, I teach podcasting here in Reno. I've got an intro class tonight with four new people. And one of the things I tell people is, You know, even if there's 700 podcasts about this one topic that you want to podcast about, you have a different voice and you have a different perspective. So, you know, we could bring each one of those people on for any one of the topics that we have nowadays, Paul, and they would have a different perspective on whatever we're talking about. So I love working with different people. In that respect, one of the reasons we've kind of had so many different co-hosts <laughs> is because people's schedules, right? I'm I'm kind of the only one besides Tristan, really, but me a little more because Tristan has all the stuff that he does, but I'm kind of the only one that... Is really super invested in the Archaeology Podcast Network. You know, I it's it's kind of something. It was my idea. I I started it uh, with Tristan, and I, I'm really invested in seeing it go. So when when we have people say they need to back out, like Doug started this podcast, but you can see he was only on seven episodes because he couldn't make the commitment. Mostly him and Russell were having a scheduling timeframe problem because Doug was in Scotland and Russell was in Seattle, so. Mm-hmm. That was always an issue, but Russell kept it going largely by himself for a while. He had me on as a co-host for a lot of times, but, um, a lot of times Russell just did it by himself and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we had people that came in, Chris Sims, uh, the podcast actually went into hiatus for a number of months because Doug and Russell just couldn't do it. And I didn't have the time to do it either. Then I met Chris when he was working for me at my company, Dig Tech out at China Lake Naval Weapons Center. And after Maybe a month out there, you know, him and I started talking and we said, Hey, let's, let's reignite this podcast. And that's kind of where we came up with the format we have now, which is with the app of the day segment and two segments talking about another topic that didn't exist before that. So, yeah. And then Chris moved on to other things and Richie filled in a couple of times and I put out a call for new hosts and, and, and there you were.
1: Well, I, you know, I was looking at the, uh, the release dates and yeah, you pointed out that, that, uh, that slight hiatus in the summer of, uh, 2015, Yeah, between Russell being the main host and you being the main host. Mm -hmm. Uh, But aside from that, you know, it's been, uh, pretty consistent every other week, uh, for these 100 episodes that that's got to be challenging like you said for scheduling and i know that there have been a few times that i haven't been able to make it on over the last uh, year and a half that i've been uh, that i've been here scheduling is a big issue right? But what kind of other challenges do you run into in order to keep that kind of consistent schedule going?
2: My biggest one is topics, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think we've nailed scheduling because as you've seen, Paul, we've come up with, you know, we record on a consistent day and time. It's on my calendar. I know it's coming up most of the time. Sometimes we forget. <laughs> <laughs> but we know it's coming up and we, get, we build in a little bit of flexibility when we're doing it right. You know, we got off a little bit this last few weeks, but now we're back on track. So you know, this doesn't release for another week and a half from this recording time. And just building in that time allows you to, this is another thing I tell people when I teach podcasting, I'm like, listen, if you don't schedule your show, you're just simply not going to stick with it. You have to schedule the release and you have to schedule the recording and you have to schedule the editing. And those are things that just need to go in your calendar um, if you're going to get going. But then now that we've, we've kind of nailed that because I've got times for all those, we know it's coming up the biggest problem we have is topics and sometimes it's not like there's not enough topics out there it just becomes it just becomes one more thing on your plate when you're like oh man i got to find a topic and this is why i like having hosts like you paul that that can generally speak on a number of things like we can we can often come up with something almost at the last minute and i would hate to put out an episode that was just it sounds like you're phoning it in but i don't think we've ever done that like we'll come up with a topic real quick before that episode, uh, records and then speak intelligently about it for 40 minutes and then do a app of the day segment. So that's the kind of co-hosts that I wanted for this show. And I'm glad that they were there now so we can just, you know, so we can keep this going. That being said, we always we always want people to send us in more topics that they want us to talk about. Oh, yeah. always. (laughs) that's that's a big thing. I (laughs) I agree with you. Finding topics is the toughest
1: thing. It's not just, uh, you know, there's so many topics that, you know, we we communicate offline a lot um, Mm -hmm. off of the podcast uh, and on Slack, text back, forth, whatever emails. Uh, And we have topics in the bank and people that we want to interview and we're scheduling an interview and uh, trying to come up with topics and. There's so many things that are so cool in archaeology in general, in tech related to archaeology, but to try to get enough of an idea about what we want to say about something, to tip it over the edge from being a cool idea to being something that we actually can speak about with some intelligence, uh, that to me is the trickiest thing. And I know there have been times here (laughs) that I feel like once the words start coming out of my mouth, um, I am kind of that, uh, that... student that's bullshitting <laughs> yeah yeah right uh, this is the very edge of the limit of what i know about what i'm talking about here and i'm going to say everything i can and then we're running out of time and so yeah so coming up with topics i again i've found you know i'll agree with you that's the uh, the most interesting the most challenging thing but it's it's not the the coming up with topics per se it's coming up with a topic that one can speak on <laughs> yeah that that is the key <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of topics hey i've got some numbers for us so we have you know i looked at all the different uh the different titles we gave to the episodes, and uh, to try to tease out what the topics were. Sometimes it's a little more clear, and I know that when we discuss things, we often kind of vary, you know, bring in other topics and swim around and touch different things that uh, that might not be evident from the uh, from the overall stated topic of the episode. But um, but from the stated topics of the episodes, our most common topic. Can you guess what it's going to be? grunt Ha! Drink! (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Six times. Six distinct times that it was a top line. This is what we're going to be talking about on this episode.
2: I'm sure that if
1: we counted every time that we discussed drones, it would be pushing a (laughs) hundred.
2: I wasn't even on this screen on our thing. I was writing another note in my app of the day segment when you asked me that. I didn't even see that it says drones up here in our little show notes. (laughs) So that's how confident I was. Uh, Number two of topics has been codify. Well, Well, when we restarted this podcast, uh it was right around that time that i started talking to codify mm-hmm. and real quick after that china lake project i think within a month or two i was essentially contracting for codify for about 2 years so mm-hmm. i talked about codify a lot yeah and
1: uh not just codify but we also that was four times that it was a top level uh item uh, mm-hmm. apple you know covering oh, yeah. uh, like wwdc or new apple releases arvr Photogrammetry and what I kind of lumped under a a topic of tech, field tech under constraints, you know, under. Power constraints, under weather constraints, so on and so forth. Uh, all of those, Codify, Apple, AR, VR, photogrammetry, field tech, all four times each, followed by discussions of books with their authors at least three times and 3D printing at least three times. But then if I just look at some of the other main ones we've done, uh, you've done SAA a few times. Uh, we've had two different episodes with listener questions. And I've got to say that those ones are a lot of fun. I really <laughs> appreciate doing those ones. LIDAR twice, which seems a little low, but it might just be because LiDAR pops in and all those discussion of drones. Um, Mm -hmm. Field photography twice. Databases only twice, which has got to be just uh, a freak of how things are titled versus what we're actually discussing when we start <laughs> discussing things, because databases, I think, come up pretty much every time. I think uh, so. Bots, twice. Both those episodes were recent. Um, grab Bag, twice, which kind of crosses into the uh, the listener questions as well, and those are fun. Uh, and then we've had ones I know we've done, but I couldn't really quantify. And what I mean are article discussions, and these ones, um, these are one of the things that we do, I guess, when we're having troubles with a... Um, with a topic is we will find an article that catches our attention, read it, analyze it, discuss it, uh, critique it, praise it, and so on as we go through. Uh, some of these ones would be really nice to have the, um, the authors on, and some of them we have had the authors, and that's why it's a little difficult to count. Uh, projects mm-hmm. with their researchers, and that's exactly the same thing, uh, You know, having somebody, hey, you just wrote this great article about X, Y, or Z, uh, could you please discuss with us? And uh, and tech advice and that's tough to quantify because we kind of weave that through a bunch of different uh, discussions. Certainly in things like the uh, the tech under field tech under constraints, we bring tech advice in all the time. And I know we've done it under uh, databases and various other things. Um, is there a kind of topic that you generally prefer to do that you have the most fun with? Drones. <laughs> Shocker.
2: <laughs> no, I think. I think I think drones is a big one because it's uh it's it's such a new thing in archaeology still and and people aren't really sure you know how to deal with it and what to do and it's uh, they can be expensive and it takes take some skill to use so I think that's one of the jobs of a podcast is to help educate people and I think one of the biggest things we can educate people on is in fact drones. The other one is which I'm really surprised didn't show up high on the list and again you said you know, that might just be difference between titling and what we actually talk about is digital field data recording, because yes. that, that kind of goes under Codify. Each time we talked about Codify, we were talking about field digital data recording. Mm-hmm. And and I must not have talked about Wild Note enough because that should be making its way up the ranks too when we yep. do episode, you know, 200 episode. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I think those are my two probably passion topics. Although 3D printing is kind of high up there for me as well, only because I go in cycles here at the Reno collective. I've been doing a lot of 3d printing lately because I needed to, I needed to make something for my bicycle at home (laughs) and, and I, and I found a way to do it. And I, and I came up with this thing, it broke and then I re-engineered it and now it's working. Um, But then I've also been, because that reignited me and I've been printing some swag basically for what the wild note booth uh, for the society for California archeology span conference coming up, which if you're listening to this in real time, the conference started today, um, on on this Thursday in March. So, anyway, uh, yeah, those are my those are my big go tos. If we could, honestly, I feel like if I had the energy, we could probably come up with an entirely separate podcast just about drones, or just about field recording, mm-hmm. or you know something like that. But we'd really have to nail down the topics.
1: Well, I think that uh, what you were just saying about you know the perception of like field recording—I know that we've discussed field recording in pretty much every Uh, episode—and that again isn't uh, isn't reflected in the top line that just ran through. But it's one of the things I really enjoy about uh, about being the co-host on here is that we do bounce around across different uh, different of. Topics, different ideas, different kinds of technologies that we are interested in or we have experience with. Uh, and it might not rise to the, the, the overall theme of the project of the, uh, the episode, but it, uh, it certainly works its way through a lot of different discussions that we have. So that, that makes it mm-hmm. fun because it keeps me on my toes. Um, and it keeps me. You know, engaged with the material in a way that, you know, might not necessarily if we're being really strict about today, we're going to talk about, you know, topic A and only topic A. It can be today we're going to talk about topic A and whatever it sparks with us as we as we actually discuss it. So discussions, some of the best discussions we've had, in my opinion, have been when we have guests on. So why
2: don't we take a little mm-hmm. break
1: and then we'll jump into the numbers of the guests.
2: Hey, Chris Webster here, and I'm going to talk about WildNoteApp.com, one of the sponsors of the Archaeology Podcast Network. And today I'm just going to give you a quick tech tip. If you're using WildNote for archaeology, and of course you are, then use the locations concept to help organize all of your forms. What I mean by that is when you start a new project, you'll first see a location label in the project setup dialog, and you can label this anything from site to previously recorded site to anything you want, but I would label it site for your general archaeology project. That way, you can then finish this save project dialog up and then go along to the manage data tab Add a whole bunch of site numbers to your project, that way you have them selectable in the field and searchable in the dropdown, and your crews can have a homogenous set of data without having to type in site numbers every time and get it wrong. You can also export by site number, and then you can sort by site number in the review and edit screen, so it's a pretty powerful field. Check it out over at wildnoteapp.com and get your free trial today. Hey, so as the field season gets kicked off, or if you're listening to this in the future, wherever the heck you happen to be in the field season, I'm sure you could use some extra cash. So check out arcpodnet.com forward slash side hustle to get some information on one of our affiliates. Affiliates are basically services that we, I guess, agree with philosophically and give us a little kickback when you use their services. This one is for a digital marketing course from in demand And it's a good friend of mine named Seth Himes. And head on over there, click the click here to check out your new gig link right at the bottom, and it will take you to Seth's site. And then when you purchase his course and learn how to be a digital marketer and get your own clients on the side for your own little side hustle, whether it's wintertime or between projects or what have you, then the Archaeology Podcast Network will get a little bit back from that so we can keep bringing you awesome podcasts. So that's arcpodnet.com forward slash side hustle. Check it out and put some extra cash in your pocket today. All right, we're back. This is Chris Webster heading off this segment again uh, with episode 100. And I just wanted to point out because Paul really got my juices flowing here with looking at these stats on the episodes. And one of the nice things about technology is that you can make rapid, massive improvements and changes on the fly with a lot of things if it's done right. So I remembered that the website host that we use for the Archaeology Podcast Network, which is Squarespace, had the ability to put in tag clouds. Now, two reasons why I don't generally have the tag clouds. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a list of the tags that I put on each episode. And then they're usually weighted by size and sometimes, you know, font thickness or something like that. These in these particular, the word is bigger if it was used more times. The reason I took those out, I used to have them when we first started the APN. The reason I took them out is we just didn't have enough data (laughs) to make them useful. So you know, now, and then I kind of forgot about them. So now I went in and I re added the tag cloud. So if you go to arcpodnet.com forward slash archeotech, A R C H A E O T E C H, and look on the right hand side, if you're on desktop and you're nice spread out browser, if you look on the right side, you'll see at the bottom of the sidebar the tag cloud. And the way that I set this one up, because it had a bunch of different parameters, that's the other reason I hadn't really been using it much, is because, because Squarespace didn't really have good adjustable parameters for the tag cloud. But these are just tags for the architect podcast and they are the top 20. I could have chosen way more, but they're the top 20 by number of times they were used and then they're alphabetized. So the highest one we have here out of the top 20 was hit 22 times. And that is the tag digital archeology, span which fits with what I was assuming when we were talking about in the last podcast, I was like, man, that's like one of my big things. We talk about that a lot. Uh, and then the next one is just archaeology, which is just kind of a stupid word. I probably shouldn't have been tagging these with because everything is archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> there, there should have been a hundred tags for archaeology, <laughs> but there wasn't. Like, which ones did I choose to say archaeology on, and which ones did I not? That's just you know doesn't make any sense. Where's drone at? So drone is only eight times that I tag it with drone, uh, which kind of fits, I think, with what Paul's statistics were. So that kind of makes sense. Because sometimes I may have tagged something drone. Yeah, Paul had six episodes I had drone in the title. Sometimes I may have put drone in there if I had an app of the day that was related to using a drone, which I did sometimes, so then I might tag it that way. My problem is I have not been consistent on the tags. You know, I, I can't tell you that every time we did this, I put this in the tags. No, it's just... When I'm posting the episode, it's whatever feels good. What I think will what I think will help somebody find this episode if they're looking for this particular topic. Right. So there could be a lot more. Some of them may be inappropriate for that particular episode, but I thought it fit but, you know, who knows? There's no end to the number of tags you can put in there. So No, I think
1: it's uh, I think it's interesting. It's another way of looking. I didn't even think of looking at the tags, frankly, uh, but it's uh, it's another yeah. way of dissecting the data that we have, but it does highlight, and you've mentioned both these things, but uh, just to re- reiterate, it highlights two of the things that I find really interesting about technology. One is that uh, done right, you can be very playful with it, right? We can mm-hmm. experiment. There's, there's no harm in putting that tag cloud there and taking a look and see what it shows us, and maybe it's good maybe it looks totally wrong maybe it's embarrassing whatever (laughs) we get rid of it or we think that it's pretty good and we can modify it a little bit And and the cost of actually implementing and iterating through something is often quite low um in the digital world so um so you know if you have the time it's it's worth exploring sometimes uh so that you know that literally took you what 20 seconds while we were on the break to yeah, uh to do so uh, so that's pretty low cost um and then uh you know we spent more time talking about it already and then the other what you mentioned is that with tagging uh it's garbage in garbage out you know with a lot of things in uh in any kind of data collection or um, or analysis, garbage in, garbage out. But uh, you know, it depends on the consistency and the accuracy of what you've recorded, which gets back to all those discussions we've had about uh, digital archaeology, right? The mm-hmm. uh, the consistency and the accuracy of recording the data out in the field on tablets. In order to make better use of it later when we're back in the field or doing the report, uh, back in the lab or during the report, excuse me. So, anyhow, th- this is a, a little side that I think is, uh, is actually kind of fun because this is exactly yeah. why, uh, why you and I both have an interest in tech and archaeology is that, uh, you know, that experimental aspect to it. And uh, certainly that's not just in tech and archaeology. There's a lot of experimentation that goes on in lots of different kinds of archaeology. But, you know, this is our own little particular window into it.
2: This also highlights another problem with technology, and that is if you're too close to it, sometimes you think that people are seeing things and they're actually not. I'm really getting this with Wild Note, like... You know, the onboarding process with Loud Note is really interesting because I'm deep into this system, right? Like I'm deep into it and I see stuff and I know things are there. But when somebody first comes to the platform, they may not see stuff. And the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, Paul, you didn't think about doing tags because, quite frankly, Squarespace does not highlight the tags at the end of the episode in a way that makes you think about them, which which makes me think. Well, do people even know that there are tags there? That they could actually click on the tags? You know, do they even know that they're a part of this thing? And maybe by adding this tag cloud, we've just added a lot more research value to the podcast because I really do see the podcast as as a research source, obviously not some peer-reviewed source, but if somebody's looking for information, i want them to be able to find it here and maybe the, rather than searching they can just click on one of these tags cuz that's that's the beauty of the tag cloud i can click on one of these and see all 22 episodes associated with digital archaeology just right there in a the list which mm-hmm. is pretty awesome so yeah that that it was just like when you were giving me the stats i'm like wow why didn't you do the tags and then i'm looking and well because the tags are like light gray and small <laughs> Well, I can't uh, see them <laughs> and you
1: know, being too close to it I uh, I'm somebody that doesn't use tags <laughs> well, I just go. don't tag things I'm not it, it's <laughs> not in my uh it's it's not part of the way I think about uh, about data yeah. I know that that's kind of anomalous but um I'm very structured in the way I look at data and tags tend to be a little more amorphous and so mm-hmm. when people were first getting into them uh, roughly about ten years ago tagging things on blogs in particular uh, it was something that i didn't find any particular need and so i didn't you know jump in on it uh though a lot of people have and it's worked its way into our operating systems and into a lot of things uh and you know it's good uh yeah. and that also highlights another thing that i like about tech is that uh there are a lot of different ways that a lot of people can use things differently to get different kinds of results you know there's kind of the um the stereotype maybe not so much anymore, but certainly used to be that, you know, if you're doing things on a computer, everybody's going to look at everything in the exact same way. And it's going to take a lot of the human element out of it. And what we're seeing is that actually there are lots of ways to keep humans involved in their tech and in how we use the tech in a lot of very, very different ways that uh, that you wouldn't expect necessarily looking at it from the outside.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, speaking indeed. of humans kind nice. of an awkward
1: segue but i'm going to do it uh we've had a lot of humans other than the uh the hosts and the co hosts um i looked and we have 54 distinct guests over the years not bad except with a little asterisk there episode 32 with megan
2: dennis lists <laughs> students i remember that she never gave us the names
1: i don't, <laughs> so I I don't know how many students i don't know their names unfortunately so um <laughs> Students. Let's. That means that there's at least two. So at least fifty six distinct guests have been on the uh, on the show. Uh, some nice. have had repeat appearances. The the most is Michael Ashley, who was on with eight, and then drops down to Chris Cameron, who was on three times, and then there's seven others who were on the show twice. And. Uh, we've also had, you know, not only just one guest on, but up to six, which was mm-hmm. just back on episode ninety-five. And I've got to say that was a lot of fun having all the different guests. I mean, it was a bit of a challenge trying to make sure that we had space for each one to to talk and to give yeah. their own unique perspective on the project that we were discussing. But I, I feel like that was pretty successful. I was a little worried going into that one. <laughs> Are there guests that you particularly remember having on that were interesting or out of the box or difficult or anything like that? I don't mean difficult in a way that you're going to throw somebody under the bus, but (laughs) challenging in order to to, uh, to, to get good data or good content out of them.
2: Actually, that is the interesting part is I can't think of anyone who I would throw under the bus because there hasn't been anyone. You know, most of the people we've had on the show. I mean, some people are naturally better interviewees than other people just because maybe they've done it more, but that doesn't mean the quality of the interview was, um, was bad. And that partly goes to the hosts as well. You know, we're pretty adept these days at pulling information out of people and getting them to speak. But, you know, I can't think of another guest, a guest that we've had on that I wouldn't have on again and to talk about different things. That being said, and it's probably just because I just saw this book on my bookshelf. Um, one of the people I think about the most, and it's partly because I probably move so much and I'm, you know, always dealing with things is uh, Abby Smith Rumsey. And she wrote the book when we are no more. And it was about our, our digital presence and like what's going to last beyond us kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, one of the most profound things she told me was, and this episode was probably about two years ago. It was episode 48 and I know it was about two years ago because we were in the process of moving from a three bedroom apartment to a one bedroom condo. And I was like, I was struggling with getting rid of some stuff and we did it on purpose because we wanted to force ourselves to get rid of some stuff, right? So uh, books, 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 books for academics, for people in this industry you know, books are, are kind of like our babies and I've been collecting books for a long time. And I was struggling with getting rid of, you know, probably about close to 2000 books. And I was like, I, how can I do this? You know, I mean, there's some things I have to keep because they're important for me as a, in my business, you know, of archeology. span Like I need these books as references. I don't have them as PDFs or I don't think they even make an ebook of some of these things, but other books were just ones I picked up and read and I was struggling with that. And she told me not even in the show, I think she did it like when we were in between segments or something, because I was telling her I was having this issue and she's like, well, you know, the way I see it, she's like, I have a few books on my shelf that I want to keep just because I want to keep them, but everything else I read it and I give it to a user bookstore or give it to somebody else or something like that, because she said, after I'm done enjoying that book, if I'm not going to get anything else from it other than sitting on my shelf, then I'm going to let somebody else enjoy that book. And I was like, well, that's a really great thing to say. So I actually just thought about her the other day, too, you know, because we're still dealing with books. I don't buy that many books anymore because I get them as eBooks or, you know, some other way. Mm hmm but but when i do get a real book you know doing the podcast i get publishers sending me books so that collection's starting to build up and i can't actually take those to a used bookstore because it's not allowed they're like pre-print copies <laughs> 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 so it's either i get rid of them or i just keep them so yeah that's uh that's i think some of the at least one thing that really stands out to me so um things <laughs>
1: Uh, one of the things that uh, that has been finding this show for a while now is App of the Day. And you were talking about um, you were talking about mm-hmm. books as physical objects. You were also talking about books as uh, e- e-books. And, uh, and we have uh, an evolving notion of how we deal with things. I mean, in part, this is what you discussed with Richie on the last episode. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the big things that has impacted our lives isn't a physical thing per se, but it's uh, the apps, especially the apps on our physical thing, that phone that we're all carrying around. Um, and so you introduced the app of the day segment back in episode 16 in um, in November of 2015. Uh, what was the what was the inspiration for that? Why did you want to do that?
2: Well, I watch a lot of uh, video podcasts on tech and I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, they're, they're building up. I need to watch some more. But I tried to stay inside the tech industry and really kind of keep up on all that stuff, even if it doesn't seem like it relates to archaeology. I want to be aware of it. You know, I want to be aware of these things. So if it does something is something that comes up. Up and something I can use for my job or whatever, or I can recommend to somebody else. Then I want to see it. And a lot of these tech podcasts that are video related have uh, they have their own sort of app of the day or app of the week or that sort of segment, right, where they highlight something that they think their listeners will like. And I was like, man, that is just a great idea. So to be honest, I poached it entirely from all these people that were already doing it. And I said, but I want to find an app that is either directly beneficial and can help you with actually doing archaeology or is beneficial to archaeologists. Because as probably most listeners to this show knows, I'm a CRM archaeologist and uh, I'm really... I'm really invested in the lifestyle of a CRM archaeologist because I think that's the biggest thing that gets people out of this job. People always say it's pay, people always say it's schedules, but in reality, it ends up being the lifestyle. Like you just can't handle living as an archaeologist and having that disruption constantly in your lifestyle from what you knew before you got into doing archaeology. And helping people through that, I think, helps everybody in the field because it leaves more quality people in this field. And sometimes, you know, A smartphone app could change how you how you look at your free time it could change how you do your workouts it could change how you do something else you know maybe your problem is you don't know where to go in a new town so we can highlight an app that shows you where to go to get a drink have a meal do a thing and and that's related to being an archaeologist or really anybody but you know that's what i wanted to highlight with the app of the day segment and that episode if i'm not mistaken was either the first or real close to the first that chris sims and i did of the reboot of the show i think it was the first i'm just going right
1: back through my spreadsheet here i'm going to tell you in a second yep Uh, so prior to that you had hosted a couple by yourself um, and Mm -hmm. Russell had hosted a couple by himself and then it was you and Chris together uh, for that first uh, episode 16 that first AOTD section now you kind of hinted at it here and I kind of was also a little glib about it the app (laughs) of the day segment we haven't is not strictly apps too. I mean, you've been talking about lifestyle stuff and that's uh, when Mm -hmm. I first heard, when I first started listening to the podcast and I heard app of the day, I was assuming that it was going to be strictly speaking archaeological apps. I'm like, well, that's going to play out in about Two weeks because <laughs> yeah. not that many. Yeah, what what are, what are you thinking with this? But uh, but clearly, you know, it's it's gone beyond just you know apps to help you record in the field, which has been mentioned. But it's also uh, a bunch of other things, including physical objects. A couple of weeks ago, you were talking about um, about standing desks, right? That's mm-hmm. definitely not an app on your uh, on your phone it is a lifestyle element and uh and it pertains and a lot of the things i talk about have nothing at all to do with archaeology per se you know guitar (laughs) tuners and crazy stuff like that that um, go to the quality of life or ease of doing certain things and so they just seem kind of interesting in general and i i kind of like that too because we often counterpose you know humanity on the one side and technology on the other side right archaeologists may be Mm -hmm. less so than other people because so much of what we look at in the past is ancient technologies how people managed to do things in the past. But in you know popular culture, these are sometimes seen as opposing forces. And I don't see the world like that. And I know you don't see the world like that. And we see them as, uh, as in a dialogue, the technology and our lives and our humanity. And uh, it all kind of is a stew and it all informs each other. So the app of the day, when we do it right, um, is talking about these things that we think can inform not just our work but also our lives Um, and that's also we haven't shied away from distinctly talking about things that are uh, directly related to archaeological recording analysis and so Mm -hmm. on Um, and just before i run out of numbers here we have discussed 98 almost 100 98 distinct (laughs) apps in app of the day now we've discussed Probably a couple hundred others in the course of what we've uh, what we've had in the regular topics, but yeah. just within the app of the day, ninety eight distinct <clears throat> apps. If you want to call standing desks an app,
2: <laughs> hey, one of those desks has an app like built physically into the desk into a tablet. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so I want to just ask you one last
1: question before we lead out the end of this segment, which is. Where would you like to see this podcast go in the next 100 episodes? How would you like to change it? Uh, how would you like to grow it? What do you see uh, going forward here?
2: Well, one simple answer to that is I'd like to see more guests. I'd, I'd like to see more more people coming in and not only just presenting some of the research, because some of our guests have presented topics or things that they're interested in, but some have presented research they've done. And, uh, you know, we talk about papers and things like that. I love that. It's a good it's a good way to to get a lot of that information out to the people that really need it and can benefit from hearing it and maybe you know have that cross-pollination kind of thing like oh i never thought about that approach let me get that so more guests is always a thing to be honest i wouldn't mind keeping the theme of switching out the hosts going not you paul (laughs) because are you trying to tell me something um (laughs) <laughs> no, I I like oh. to I like to keep things fr- I know right. I like to keep things fresh and if if somebody wanted to come in and and uh and you know maybe Paul you took the reins over from a primary sort of host standpoint as far as just running the call and stuff and then have in a different co-host I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, I love doing this show, don't get me wrong, but I also really like keeping it fresh and mm-hmm. keeping uh, keeping that sort of thing going. And then finally, looking at new segments possibly, and new segments is always tricky because of the work involved in setting up new segments, but I would love to have some sort of of the day segment. Maybe we got rid of the app of the day segment and we moved it to like a tech tip of the week or something or some sort of, you know, highlight some piece of equipment. We'd have to have something that we can keep going for a number of episodes, and then do that. But thinking of new segments like that, where we highlight something in particular, I think is uh, is something I would like to do. Again, that's more complicated than it sounds like because, oh my God, there's always. There's always just like coming up with new ideas, you know. So I'd I'd want to probably come up with a list of about 50 things before we even decided to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I've got to
1: agree with you 100 percent about having the uh, having the interviews, having the uh, the guests on because that's yeah. been my favorite part, and it really it goes toward the the same point of uh, of switch up co hosts is that it keeps it fresh. I mean, there's mm-hmm. we have our own stock of knowledge, our own biases, our own opinions, and our own experience uh, that we can share. But at a certain point, we're going to be repeating ourselves too much. So it's really nice to have other people that can stir it up, that can give their own perspectives that are different, sometimes radically different than our own. And, uh, and so it makes it exciting because it is uh, potentially a fairly diverse field. Uh, and as more and more things fall under this, uh, this purview of tech in the world, uh, I think that it becomes more and more relevant to archaeology in general. So it's a lot of fun to bring people in and to hear what they have to say.
2: Yeah, indeed.
1: I agree. So let's wrap this up. Thank you for uh, discussing with me today the uh, first 100 episodes of uh, the Architect <laughs> Podcast. And uh, we'll take a little break and then we'll come back and we will discuss our apps of the day Hi, welcome back to the Architect Podcast. Uh, this is the App of the Day segment. Uh, this is Paul, and I am going to talk about uh, a particular app called Clone. That's Q-L-O-N-E. It's available on both iOS and Android, and it's uh, it's freemium software. Uh, I found this because I was at a uh, at a symposium a couple weeks back, and uh, and the speakers were talking about some inexpensive photogrammetry software that they were using, a photogrammetry app that they were using on their iPhones for a project that they were involved in and they were raving about it so i looked at that one um and i didn't download it at the time i uh, i I'm probably will and then we'll review it uh in a soon upcoming episode but um but, you know, like when you go into the App Store and you see all the other apps, oh, if you're looking at this, you might like this other thing that does virtually the same thing. And there were mm-hmm. a lot of photogrammetry apps there. Uh, so I clicked on a few, downloaded them, or wasn't able to download them because my phone is an, uh, an iPhone 8, and it doesn't have the, uh, the AR camera. Um, and so they wouldn't run. they' would just work like regular cameras or would refuse to install. But one of them that did was this one clone. Uh, and so I've been playing with it. It's um it's interesting. Uh, what you do is it works on a special mat. So once you get it, you have to print out a um, uh, a mat that looks kind of like a checkerboard. It's a checkered grid uh, that the program itself keys in on. And then you set your object on top of that mat and you spin it around in order to, uh, to scan it from all angles. Uh, the program itself is really nicely laid out. Uh- Printing that app couldn't have been any easier. I uh, I clicked on it and it allows you to order a copy of a mat or um, or else send it, you know, via email. I just uh, air dropped it onto my phone and then printed onto uh, my computer and printed it out from there. Nice. A minute later, I've got this mat. I set some objects and I went around my office and grabbed a bunch of different things. I set them on the mat and spin them around. You set the object in the middle, you pull the, the phone back far enough and it sees all four corners of that grid and then superimposes a hemisphere over the, uh, over the object. And then you spin either around the object or you spin the mat so that the object is right in the middle. And, uh, and as it takes pictures on the different facets around that hemisphere, it makes them go clear so that you can see what's been photographed yet and what still needs to be gotten. Uh, the first thing I did was my coffee mug, and it was an absolute failure. <laughs> <laughs> it looked terrible and it did the weirdest thing in that the top of it wasn't uh, a hole <laughs> you know the, the mug itself it wasn't even <laughs> flat it was a spike that went way up you know so you poke yourself in the eye if you're going to try to drink out of the coffee uh, actually that wouldn't even work because if you tried to pour coffee into it it would have just run all over onto the, onto the, uh, the countertop so I thought well that's, uh, that's not very good that's not a good start so I grabbed something a little simpler uh, my coffee mug is also uh, gloss black, so it was really highly reflecting the uh, the mat that it was on. And I thought that might be a problem. I grabbed a salt shaker, and I scanned it and it had slightly better results with it, but still had a point out the top. So, I thought, well, I'm definitely doing something wrong here. Um, and then I did the salt shaker a, th- a second time, so my third scan, and I noticed that it had a uh, a little switch on the side when it was done saying, flatten top. Mm. Oh. So I did that, and my third attempt actually came out okay. Uh, so then I started. Now I figured I'd gotten this working. And I should stay on some other things, and I got a pop up. Um, so I said that this app is freemium, and what it does is it allows you to do a scan. It does. Uh, it creates the uh, the object. It you can then project it project it via AR onto uh, a desktop, for example, and spin it around and look at it from different angles. And it's really cool. It works really well you can export your model and oops i'm just trying to click through so i can tell you exactly which kinds of exports we can do you can send it directly to sketchfab you can output it in a couple different formats you can output it as a video you can output it as an image uh but you can unlock a whole bunch of other different export formats if uh if you want to by paying and i think that the uh, cost is 29.99 hmm. um to get those extra features but it also popped up I, uh, a warning saying that um, that they have volume purchasing plans for educational institutions. Mm. Do, am I interested? No, actually, I wasn't. But I'm interested that they did that because for you know we use at the school here we use a number of different apps and we use them through volume purchases. But it's always something that we have to go hunting for. And this is the first app I've ever experienced that actually popped up said, "Hey, uh, we've got an education version that you can do a volume purchasing on. Are you interested?" So th- that shows a certain amount of uh, forethought on the the parts of the developers that uh, that I wasn't necessarily expecting. It was kind of refreshing to see. Uh, anyhow, I went about and grabbed some other things, and uh, you know, I grabbed this little three D city puzzle piece uh, that was on a shelf, and I scanned that, and it came out looking kind of lumpy, but a little better. I grabbed a toy model car uh and it had that same problem where everything was spiky off the top so i told it to flatten the top and instead of just flattening the uh, the roof of it it flattened everything down to the level of the hood well that wasn't uh, acceptable either um and i started to think well where this program is falling down is with uh actually scanning (laughs) things in 3d which is (laughs) a little bit of a shame when that's what it's supposed to do uh i did have a nice hunk of uh Kind of beanbag size and shape hunk of brain coral that I put on the mat and scanned that. And that came out really good. So, it seems to me that um that with really angular, regular shapes, it has some trouble, but with uh, with very kind of organic or lumpy shapes, it does a much better job. So that was nice. So what I would think is that this, if you've got a phone that doesn't have the better you know AR capable camera like a lot of the newer ones, like the um for example, the iPhone tens, this might be a way to actually use. The phone that you have, in order to scan some object quickly and potentially to send it to somebody. Hey, what does this mm-hmm. look like? Can you take a peek at this? Um, so, I think that it might have some limited use uh, for archaeologists, uh, in order to quickly capture an object and uh, and send it to somebody else to examine or send it, you know, for. Probably not for publication, but for popular publication, let's say send it up to Sketchfab. Um, wow, that's a yeah. lot of words on uh, <laughs> what seemed like a simple little program, but it was really it's 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 interesting. It's another one of these ones that I play with, and I you know the gears start turning. How could I use this? Uh, and again, I'm going to examine soon, I hope that other app, the one that the um, the one that the people, the, the speakers at the symposium were talking about, and you know mm-hmm. then I'll compare. I'll put them both in a cage and let them fight it out and see which one comes out.
2: Yeah, no, this is great. It, it would uh, some of their examples down on the website here show like the entire surface of something like there's a tennis shoe and you can see the bottom of it. So um, I noticed in there uh, in there right up here on the side there that, you know, putting it in different poses and then it will put all that together um, is how you get that. Because obviously you can't take pictures of the bottom of it without flipping the sneaker over. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing. Same thing with like the Twix bar they have down below that. Like the Twix can, bar looks beautiful. <laughs> I know. Right. So, yeah, it looks like it's just really good, um, really good at doing that. So I, I could definitely see some applicability. I would want to play with it to see how well it works offline. You know, can I take this out in the middle of the desert and scan a bunch of stuff and then come back and then hit bam and have it go do its magic? Or do I need to be online to use the app entirely? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stuff like that is what I would want to know, because that, that would really change the applicability for uh, for archaeology. Yeah, I didn't think to test that. Yeah, or I wonder if you can take a bunch of pictures on the mat. You know, like you've just got it on your on your photo board or something out in the field. You just take those pictures into your camera roll, and then instead of taking them in the system, you import them. But you probably can't do that because it wants you to take them in the dome. That's very similar to the Google. What was that? The Google Street View, where -hmm. you could do a three hundred and sixty degree view around you. It just you just put your phone in the orientation of the the picture it needed next. And then it helped you, you know, get the right, right overlapping and layering and stuff. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, uh, really quickly before we
1: go, the, uh, the free exports it has are Sketchfab, fab. I materialize gif or GIF, depending how you are on a pronounce it, um, <laughs> video image. I don't know what image is. Um, I guess yeah. it's just exporting at JPEG. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and then the paid exports are CGTrader, Shapeways, OBJ, STL, USDZ, GLB, X3D, and PLY 3D formats. Which um,
2: yeah,
1: you know, I would think then that you could make this as a rough capture export it in one of those other formats, and then refine the the model there. You know, refine the textures, refine how it's done, uh, mm-hmm. and get rid of the uh the mistakes that you know i found when i did that toy car when i did my coffee mug well
2: i'm not sure of some of those but i know obj and in particular stl are uh s- simply just used for uh, uh, 3d printers the 3d printer I used here at the Reno collective right. takes obj or stl files so yeah Nice. And I know, I know too, that once you bring it into the 3d printing software, you can't really do any modifications to it. So you'd want to open that STL file in something like you could marry this up with another app of the day we've had, which is Tinkercad. Mm. So you could scan your thing here, export it as something. Well, see, you'd need the paid version because I'm pretty sure the only thing you could bring into Tinkercad is an OBJ or an STL file. (laughs) So yeah, so you would need to do that. It it would be a, if you're going to use it a lot, it'd be something that would be fun to use. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll move on to mine. And as Paul mentioned in the, you know, the numbers in the last segment, sometimes we didn't have apps that apparently had anything to do with archaeology. And again, with mine today, um, that's going to be the case. Now... This goes back to what I was talking about with quality of life. So my app is called seven and I realized I've had it sitting for some reason in the list of potential apps to talk about for a long time and and have never really talked about it. And it's a again, it's a somewhat of a freemium app. So it's you can use it for free, but it does have some in-app purchases. Um, But what seven is, is a really quick. Workout app, and before you groan and and turn off the podcast, it's seven minutes. And I don't know if you remember the movie something about Mary when she picks up like the psycho killer guy, and he's like, you know, six minute abs. He's like, you've heard of seven minute abs? Well, I've got six minute abs. And he's like, what if they come up with five minute abs? And the guy just couldn't handle it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that being said, what I like about this is really two things. First off, it's iOS and Google uh, or Android, and it's, it, they call themselves scientific seven minute workouts. So if you ch- you choose a workout based on, now you can craft your own thing if you just want to say screw their science, but uh, you choose a workout based on what your objective is. So if you're trying to build your core, if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to strengthen your legs or your arms or something like that, it gives you a series of, I think it's 30 second or so workouts. Um, how does that work? I think it's a little longer than 30 seconds because there's time in between and there's usually 12 steps. And sometimes it's, uh, six things and then you run through them, those six things one more time. So almost like circuit training. But the really cool thing is, is they show you a nice little animated graphic of exactly how to do the thing that you're supposed to be doing and in what in what speed you're supposed to be doing it. And you just set your phone up and there's a little timer that goes around in a really great little circle along with a physical timer that you can see and and the person doing the thing and you just follow along. And, and the reason I think this is great for archaeologists is is especially shovel bums is, you know, we often just get home and we're like, Oh my God, like I'm going on this field project in a few weeks. And I'm for the first time in a really long time, I'm going to be doing 10 hour day surveys in Southern California and Arizona. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's going to wreck me. Right. So I'm going to get home from work after a 10 hour day. Part of that is probably sitting in the car at the end of the day, which that's always been a problem. Like you just do this huge workout. Basically you burned a ton of calories. You walked all these distance, nobody stretches. And then we sit in the car for an hour. So you get back to the hotel or wherever you're staying and you're just like, man, I just gotta do something quick. And this might just be the, it might just be the thing to loosen you up, get you going. You know, it's a quick seven minutes and you just, it it shows you exactly what to do. You don't have to think about it and you could just get it done. So now, like I said, you have the, uh, sort of the freemium model. So if you want to do some of their their other things and just increase the different kinds of workouts you can do, you can give them a little bit of money. It's not very much, and uh, and you can do that. The other cool thing about it is they have a watch app. So if you have the Apple Watch, uh, you can see those same graphics right on the Apple Watch, which is pretty sweet because it uh, you, know, you don't have to have your phone visible. You can just have it right there and glance down, and then it'll tap you when it's ready for the next one, tap you when it's ready for the next one. And they also have like different encouraging instructors that you can turn on or turn off. I remember that I was using it. I had like the drill instructor turn on and it was like, come on, you can do this maggot, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but then they've got like the, they got like the stoner guy. And then they've got the, just the female gym instructor, the male gym instructor, you know, the personal trainer or something like that. You could turn all that stuff off too, if you don't want to hear any of it. So yeah, great little app to just, keep you from, keep you from tightening up and get a, get a little bit of exercise in and, and, uh, without wasting any brain power on what the hell am I going to do for exercise right now? So, yeah. Yeah. So these seven minute workout apps, uh,
1: Started coming out a couple years ago, three, four years, mm-hmm. three years ago or so. And so I have one, a different one called Seven Minute Workout that that I've used. Um, I don't use it particularly diligently, mind you. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, <me either. laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely. Is <laughs> uh, My wife uses the same one, and she's she's much better about working out than I am. Uh, mm-hmm. But definitely, it, it's one of those things that, um, whichever one you use, it's one of those things that really lowers the barrier of entry. To doing something that you feel like you should be doing, you know, to eating your spinach. Yeah. To a point that a lot of people suddenly find it easy, you know, doing seven minutes is better than doing nothing. And it's, uh, and, it's not just randomly doing seven minutes, you know, it's doing seven minutes that, uh, that makes sense because somebody has thought through it. Somebody presumably with uh, some knowledge of sports science and medicine uh, has been able to uh, put together for you. So, uh, yeah, definitely cool things worth looking to. And I think it does have some applicability to archaeology,
2: certainly, like you said, mm-hmm. to uh, keep fit for the field. Yeah. one of the other cool things I forgot to mention, I'm just seeing in their little features list here is I kind of forgot about it. No internet access needed. So all the little workouts and things they have there, you can just download them to your phone. Uh, of course it'll, you know, you won't be able to get new things if they're putting new stuff up there cause they are always adding new things. But if you just, you're going camping or you're going to be off service or something like that and you want to download a bunch of different workouts or something, you can go ahead and do that. And they don't take up a lot of space either. So, you know, it's really great for that. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thanks, Paul, for spearheading this episode. I love the idea when you came up with it to just kind of flip it a little bit and talk about the origins of the show. I feel like it would have been awkward if I did that. (laughs) So... (laughs) It's just, it's great. Uh, so thank you very much for doing that. I guess we'll we'll come back with the next episode. Uh, we have a guest on the next episode, uh, Sebastian Heath, right? Yep. Yeah, fantastic. What's he going to talk about? He's going to be talking about digital
1: humanities. He's uh, he's a professor here at uh, NYU's Institute for the Study of the Ancient World. And uh, he is uh, their go-to DH guy. And so, uh, you know, we'll get the chance to pick his brain about what he's doing, what he's excited about. And uh, he's a very interesting guy. He just, uh, he, you know, when I said about playfulness, Uh, with uh, tech he definitely embodies that he gets his toes into all sorts of different kinds of tech to experiment to see what he can do and what he can have his, uh, his students do so hopefully he'll bring some good ideas to the table
2: Awesome. And I've got a couple of people that I'm going to be interviewing next week at the Society for California Archaeology meetings in Sacramento, California. So if you happen to be listening to this on your way to the conference, because it starts, well, that Thursday evening that you're listening to this, uh, if you happen to be going to that conference, then stop by either the APN booth or the Wild Note booth. They will be right next to each other. And uh, we'll talk about it. I'll either interview you if you've got some interesting tech stuff, or we can talk about something else. So, um, or I'll just give you a sticker and you can go on about your business. <laughs> So come on by. And again, thank you, Paul. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And here's to another 100 episodes. Great. Thanks a lot, Chris.
1: Thanks for listening to the Architect podcast. Links to items mentioned on the show are in the show notes at com slash Contact us at chris at Archaeology Podcast and paul at com. Support the show by becoming a member at archpodnet.com slash members. The music is a song called Off-Road and is license-free from Apple. Thanks for listening.
2: This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective.
1: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com.
0: Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.
2: Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.